COVID cases are on the rise with the Delta variant in play. University students will be expelled if they are not fully vaccinated. Jeff Bezos goes into space and the 2020 Tokyo Olympics begins in 2021. I'm Nico Fideli and this is For the Republic. The only thing we have to fear is fear itself. Ask not what your country can do for you. Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. As always, thank you so much for watching and listening to this episode of For the Republic. I want to know what you are thinking. You can start a conversation by commenting your thoughts below. Like and share this episode if you want to help our community grow. And if you have enjoyed the show, please consider subscribing. Lastly, clicking the bell icon will notify you when a new episode is available. The people of Cuba continue to protest relentlessly against their communist government. Today marks the third Sunday since the everyday people of Cuba have decided enough is enough. The Cuban government has also retaliated using measures of the most extreme. July 11th marked the first congressional meeting about, about Cuba. And at the meeting was a Cuban human rights activist named Rosa Maria Paya. She is the director of Cuba Decide, which is a non-for-profit organization that exists to promote democracy and human rights for Cuba. She said, quote, There are 532 detained and missing persons, but we estimate the actual number to be in the thousands, end quote. She also added, saying to Congress, that they need to make full use of the Magnitsky Act. The Magnitsky Act is an act introduced by the Obama administration that authorizes the president to freeze the assets of human rights abusers and prevent them from entering the United States. The Magnitsky Act gets its name from a Russian tax lawyer, Sergei Magnitsky. I think the act allows the president and the executive branch a little too much power in this respect, but I do think that Biden should make full use of it. And he has. The Biden administration has issued more sanctions against Cuba. House Representative Marco Rubio says it's a good step, but also questions its effectiveness. He says that most of the Cuban officials are already sanctioned. The time has passed to give Cuba a slap on the wrist. Action needs to be taken. We need to give the Cuban people resources, build international support with other free nations, and give the Cuban people access to internet because they have been cut off. So what the Biden administration is doing is a trend upwards in the right direction, but it can't stop there. The Biden administration is caught in some sort of limbo. They're in the middle of kind of being laxed on Cuba like uh, President Obama was, and they're kind of in the middle of how Trump was so hard on Cuba. And they need to really pick and decide, kind of like what we talked about last episode. They need to either be hot or cold. This lukewarm is going to end up causing a stagnation, and it can't stop there. We can't be stagnant when it comes to Cuba. Other U.S. officials are showing their true colors on the matter. Sarah A. Carter tweeted this out. The tweet says, D.C. officials remove Cuba Libre painting outside the Cuban embassy. Meanwhile, Black Lives Matter Plaza in the heart of D.C. remains untouched. D.C. Mayor Bowser did not respond to requests for comment. 
it's so obvious what's going on here. And it shows a picture of Cuba Libre outside of the Cuban embassy. And this has been since removed. It's obviously unfair that the Black Lives Matter Plaza still stands today. And just after 24 hours that Cuba Libre was painted outside the Cuban embassy, it was taken down. This just exposes the agenda of the left and exposes the agenda of social justice warriors. And I want to take a second and show the problems that I have with the social justice activism in America and how it's only one-sided. A lot of these uh, issues that social justice warriors fight for or advocates of are usually created under false pretenses. Like take the wage gap, for example. Women, they say women don't make as much as men. Or Black Lives Matter. Police are shooting unarmed black men just because they're black. There's also racial injustice. The U.S. is fundamentally racist and the systems need to be torn down. LGBTQ plus inequality. Uh, they say that they can't express who they are. Another problem is that if you are a social justice warrior, you can break the rules for the sake of the cause. Like Black Lives Matter, you can be violent, riot, and loot while burning businesses and have no repercussions. When it comes to racial injustice, schools will just lower standards so people can, can, can get in who aren't qualified. And uh, those seeking for a job, they just reduce the qualifications so that they can meet their uh, minority group quota. Or LGBTQ plus inequality, men can just walk into women's locker rooms or they can just expose their genitalia in a spa in a women's locker room. But the most important problem I have with these, this social justice activism in America is the advocates of social justice issues do not allow free thinking. And we see this example with Cuba Libre painted outside the Cuban embassy in D.C. Let's take the wage gap, for example. The fact is men and women pursue different careers. But you'd be called sexist to point that out. Black Lives Matter. Why don't we focus on black-on-black -black crime? Because it's a much bigger problem than police. But you'd be called racist and a white supremacist for saying that. Or we can use racial injustice as an example. Saying that lowering standards is not fair and only adds more problems. You'd be called racist and white privilege for thinking that. Or saying that out loud. LGBTQ plus inequality. It's wrong to expose yourself to minors. You'd be called bigoted and homophobic. If you point these things out, these facts, you're casted out of society. But the truth is, free thinking solves problems, and free thinking is freedom. So you quench that free thinking, you quench a free society. And that's the problem with social justice warriors. They don't just want a change of policy or a change in the institutions. They want a change of mind. It's their way or else. And if it doesn't fit the agenda, it's not important. And only they can have a voice. And that's why removing Cuba Libre is a social injustice. The media is causing mass panic once again. This time it's because of rising COVID-19 cases, specifically the rising cases of, a, of the D Delta variant. This Delta variant is believed to be even more transmissible than those previous. 
And it is also presumed that when infected with the Delta variant, you carry 1,000 times more of the virus. I was actually disappointed by President Biden's speech tonight or his answers tonight because I actually thought that he was answering questions as if it were a month ago. He's not really meeting the realities what that's, of what's happening on the ground. I mean, we now have triple the number of infections in the U.S. versus a month ago. We have escalation in cases all over the country because of the Delta variant. And we actually don't know the answers to a lot of questions. He was talking about how if you get the vaccine, you're well protected from having severe disease. That's true. But we actually don't know how well you're protected from mild illness and whether with the Delta variant, if if you're vaccinated, could you still be contagious to other people? We don't we know don't, the answer to that. We don't know the answer to Because, I mean, that's a crucial question. That's right. Can, can you pass it on to your loved ones? Can you pass it on to your children? That's right. Here's what we do know. We know that the vaccine reduces your likelihood of carrying the virus and the amount of virus that you would carry. But with the Delta variant, a person infected with the Delta variant carries a thousand times the amount of virus compared to previous variants. And so that's the problem. We don't actually know about this transmission question. And I think that President Biden actually led people astray when he said, if you're vaccinated, you can take off your mask. We don't know that. I think he let go of a really important opportunity tonight. This kind of rhetoric only makes things worse. It's clear that Dr. Leanna Wang and the folks at CNN are completely disconnected from reality. You are straight Looney Tunes if you think people are going to go back to masking. The science to justify what these news outlets are pleading for just isn't there. The vast majority of the American people want to put COVID behind them, along with the restrictions associated with it. And rightfully so. As, as we'll talk about. But some places are doing the opposite. So the Delta variant has caused spikes around the country, specifically in California, Florida, and Louisiana, among some other states. But these three have been hit the hardest. Some areas have regressed back to restrictions from early, the early COVID pandemic. The examples of this are LA and the surrounding areas reinstated the mask mandate recently. You have to wear a mask now in businesses and public places, once again, regardless if you've been vaccinated. The Los Angeles County Sheriff Alex Villanueva said that in a statement on July 18th that his officers would not be enforcing the mandate. He wrote, quote, forcing the vaccinated and those who already contracted COVID-19 to wear masks in indoors is not backed by science, end quote. Also, the border restrictions to Canada and Mexico have also been extended to August 21st. Governor Ron DeSantis, Ron DeSantis, however, of Florida, he may be the only governor left with a brain, he refuses to lock down Florida. Well, look, so if anyone is calling for lockdowns, you're not getting that done in Florida. I'm going to protect people's livelihoods. I'm going to protect kids' right to go to school. I'm going to protect people's right to run their small businesses. Uh, we have a situation where we have three vaccines that have been widely available for months and months now, and people need to make decisions uh, what's best for them, but to have the government come in and lock anyone down or restrict anybody 
is totally unacceptable, and it's easy for some physician to advocate that because it doesn't affect them. Uh, it does affect the people in this state. So we're going to lift people up. We're not locking people down, and we're going to make sure that folks are able uh, to exercise their their decision making that what's best for them. And I think millions of Floridians have obviously done that uh, for the last year and a half. And so we want to continue to support their efforts. Institutions are starting to require proof of vaccination. Indiana University is among the most recent. They require all students, staff, and faculty to be fully vaccinated by the start of the semester this fall. If you decide not to get a vaccine, there is good news for you. You'll be fired if you're on staff. If you're a student, your enrollment will be revoked and your access to school systems and activities will be blocked. Working remote is not an option and masking is not an option. There are three exemptions. Oh, the, there are three exemptions, though. Those exemptions are religious grounds, ethical and medical. And if you fall into one of these categories, you'll have to be tested twice a week. It's mandatory that you're quarantined if you're exposed to anybody with COVID. You have to wear masks in public, whether on or off campus. How does the Indi how does the university enforce that? Or they just have somebody follow you with binoculars spying on you, making sure that you're wearing masks in public? Like that's just crazy to me. That's asinine. Also, you'll have to be returned to your home address if there's an outbreak on campus. You may be thinking to yourself, this is a lawsuit waiting to happen. Well, that's already been tried. Eight students of, uni of the university filed a lawsuit against the school. And a judge did, did side with the university, unfortunately. But I think there's an appeal coming. In my opinion, this is a complete infringement on freedom to reject medical treatment. It also sets a precedent for other institutions. Do you think others will follow suit? Do you think your employer will follow suit? Let me know what you think and comment below. Personally, I think this is going way too far. The pandemic is basically over. We know what COVID is. We know what the survival rate is. We know what the risks are. So why are there still reactions this extreme? I think it's because risk assessment has been thrown completely out of the, win out the window with, when it comes to COVID-19. And you say to yourself, what's so important about risk assessment? What does that have to do with COVID? What does that have to do with any of this? Well, risk assessment is the process of identifying potential hazards and analyzing what could happen if a hazard occurs. This process is usually done with each and every reasonable decision made that has a risk involved. It's the way a person rationalizes the risk associated with the action taken. If the potential hazard is too impactful, the risk might not be worth it. If the chance of the hazard occurring is too high, the risk becomes too risky. More than likely, when someone takes an unreasonable risk, they must have ignored the risk assessment analysis or bypassed the process altogether. The same is true with the opposite. If the potential hazard is low impact, the risk is worth it. If the chance of the risk occurring is minimal, the risk is diminished. Therefore, someone choosing not to take the risk is just as unreasonable and they must have ignored the risk assessment analysis or bypassed the process altogether. 
The latter scenario is what we have seen in the U.S. day in and day out when it comes to assessing the pandemic of COVID-19. You see this from the top all the way down, from the most qualified to the average citizen on the street. The risk assessment process has been ignored, and this has negatively impacted the country on a variety of issues, issues ranging from our global economic power to the equality to the quality of everyday life. Even our God-given rights enforced by the U.S. Constitution have been infringed because of COVID-19. Does the risk assessment process deem all these measures necessary? What are the risks and hazards when it comes to COVID-19? To help us get the answers, let's observe some data. A lot of light can be shed by analyzing some of the greatest risks we face in America, how we assess those risks, and then compare them with the response to COVID-19. I want to show you a chart. This chart shows the lifetime odds of death and the top causes of death in the United States. This table shows a list of causes of death and the odds of dying to that cause. This table was compiled in the United States in 2019. So we see at the top of the list, heart disease. And the odds of dying from heart disease is 1 in 6. Your chances of dying from cancer is 1 in 7. Next on the list is all preventable causes of death. So uh, death in the workplace or a piano falling on your head. Chances of that happening are 1 in 24. Chronic lower respiratory disease. Chances of that is 1 in 27. Suicide, 1 in 88. Opioid overdose, 1 in 92. Guarantee you that's a lot higher in 2021. A fall, 1 in 106. Motor vehicle crash, 1 in 107. Gun assault, 1 in 289, and so on and so forth. So we see here these causes of death and the odds of dying to that cause of death. And we notice that heart disease is the number one cause of death in the United States. Every 36 seconds, somebody dies of heart disease. And we can compare that to the survival rate of COVID-19, which is at a remarkable 98.2%. Now, there's no doubt that COVID-19 has impacted many lives. And I'm not trying to downplay the people and the lives that we've lost. We've lost over 609,000 people to COVID-19. But how much is COVID-19 affecting us now? Let's take a look at a chart that shows the case count of COVID-19. And we can see in this chart provided by the New York Times that since the pandemic started, the trend of, ca of cases per day, reported cases per day of COVID-19. And the peak seemed to be about back in January. Now, if I, rec I remember, I'm old enough to remember that back in January, the talk of the town and the talk was not about COVID-19. No, it was about the previous election that happened in the November before. So what gives? Like, why is it that the pandemic reached an all-time peak? You can see in deaths, hospitalization, testing, cases reported per day, all of that peaked in January. 
but nobody was really talking about it. So why are people talking about it now? And we can see that it's since the widespread of vaccination, the cases per day have just plummeted. And you can see that slight increase that we're talking about with the with the Delta variant towards the end. This is just in, in at the end of June, beginning of July. You can see that a little bit of increase. But that increase, right now we're at around 41,000 cases per day. At our peak, we were at over 250,000 cases per day. Like, it's a totally different ballgame. And we're still talking about masking. We're still talking about restrictions. We're still talking about these things like we're at the peak of the pandemic. Like I said, the pandemic is basically over. So what's the, what's the, what, what's the point I'm trying to make here? The point is, is that when comparing it to heart disease, we still eat fast food. We still eat fat, Five Guys. We still eat Burger King. We still eat McDonald's. We still eat these fast food, this fast food. We take that risk assessment. Cancer. Cancer is the second leading cause of death in America. But yet people are still smoking. People are still drinking. Accidents is also a major cause of death in America. Yet people are still living their ordinary lives. They're not worried that something is going to ha happen to them every waking moment. Falls. Falls is, a, is, is up there in leading causes of death. So... I mean, I don't see people looking on the street in every which way looking for a banana peel that they might slip on and die. Car crashes, like a car accident, is a, is a pretty high cause of death. It's a 1 in 289, I believe, chances of a car accident. But yet, people still drive every day. It's not going to stop you from driving because you've made that risk assessment. And you've deemed that the hazard is too low to not take that risk. All these things can happen, but yet we use risk assessment to rationalize them. And the point is to do the same with COVID-19. We talked about how one in every 36 seconds people are dying of heart disease in America. It's one of every 250 seconds that someone is dying from COVID-19 right now. We're only reporting about 350 at the most deaths per day. And that's a staggering number compared to the over 2,000 deaths per day of heart disease, over 2,000 deaths per day when it comes to cancer. There are more important issues that we should be focusing on, like the body positivity movement. If you want to reduce COVID deaths, like maybe we should talk about that, that it's not okay to be morbidly obese. It's not okay to be fat and proud. Like this is what causes heart disease. This is what causes cancer. This is what causes deaths to COVID. Opioid overdose. Opioid overdose have skyrocketed partially to quarantining. So you're going to have people quarantine again and have them be at risk. I mean, like it's going to come to a point where like opioid overdose is just going to overtake anybody, anybody's chances of dying of COVID. And it's going to be more the, the risk is going to be greater quarantining than just opening up. Like, I mean, it, it's already that way now. You, you pose more risks to people being quarantined than just opening up. Suicide rates go up. Loneliness goes up. Depression goes up. Opioid overdose goes up when, all, when everybody quarantines. 
So like the you create more risks by not taking the risk of opening up. And there needs to be talk of a return to normalcy because people are more likely to get vaccinated the more you talk about going back to normal. These scare tactics that the news outlets are promoting is just going to create skeptics. I know I'm skeptical, uh, skeptical about the COVID vaccine just because of the way it's been pushed. So the bottom line is that you need to take your individual risk assessment when it comes to COVID-19. Don't let the news, don't let politicians, don't let anybody tell you what you need to do. You know what you need to do based on a risk assessment. Jeff Bezos made history last Tuesday when he and three other civilians went into space with his privately funded spacecraft, New Shepard. The spacecraft is appropriately named after the first American in space, Alan Shepard. The space mission lasted a total of 11 minutes. Bezos and crew traveled vertically over 62 miles, breaking the boundary of space. At first glance, this doesn't seem like anything special. I mean, we've gone to the moon. But in fact, this is a huge achievement. The Blue Origin mission was the first of its kind to have no pilots on board and the crew entirely made up of civilians. The successes of this mission sparks innovation, paves the way for privatized space travel, and creates a new space race that can push the boundaries of exploration, all while costing zero dollars of the taxpayer. Of course, there are those who don't see the greatness of this feat. And Bernie Sanders, you, you guessed it, is one of them. He tweeted this out. Maybe there's a problem with an economic system, which sees a handful of billionaires grow their wealth massively during a pandemic, and zoom around space and rocket ships, while millions of people struggle to keep a roof over their heads in the richest country on Earth. Bernie Sanders, self-proclaimed democratic socialist, also has millions of dollars from writing a book. And he uses taxpayer money to buy lake houses. So it's kind of ironic that he's telling Jeff Bezos what he should be doing with his money and pointing out that there's millions in poverty when Bernie Sanders doesn't do anything about it. I mean, it's none of your business what Jeff Bezos does with, with his money, and it's none of certainly none of Bernie Sanders' business. I mean, think about the alternative. You want to give your money to this goofball? You should also ask yourself, who has made a more positive impact on your life? Jeff Bezos or Bernie Sanders? I mean, it's a fair question. It's obviously Jeff Bezos, and that's the way it should be. I mean, forget the fact that Bernie Sanders has been in government for like over 100 years, and he has nothing to show for it. It's the private entrepreneurs and businessmen that innovate and push America forward because they take the risks. Jeff Bezos has done more for you because you have access to two-day shipping on pretty much anything in the world. I mean, it, the, the fact that he's pushed for innovation and pushed for groundbreaking achievements and he's given thousands of people jobs through Amazon has done more for the everyday American than Bernie Sanders will ever do in the lifetime of government that he's been in. And this is a testament to modern technology 
and for those who choose to innovate and privately invest. Modern tech has caused poverty to decrease dramatically. In the late 50s, we saw poverty over 22%. And now, since 2019, it's been staggering around 10%. Invention and innovation is the key. Things like internet, computers, cars are all affordable are all affordable because of private investment. It's not because of government intervention. <laughs> the investment and the advancement in technology decreases the amount of work that needs to be done, which by and large increases profit margins. So it allows money to go farther, lifting people out of poverty. The most important thing is how far your dollar goes. And who does that more? Private investors, entrepreneurs, businessmen, or the government? Who can take your dollar and make it go farther? It's obviously the former. The question, the key question is how much can you get with that dollar? That dollar goes farther as technology advances. When people like Jeff Bezos spend their money, you make money. It would be a fail to give money to the dum-dums in office. They would have no advancement in technology, no risk-taking. If we went with like a socialist government mentality, then the, you would not see a progression the way that we see in America right now with a capitalist economic system. If we went to socialism, at best we would see better versions of what we already have. Innovation can't happen at the government level the same rate as it can in the private level. And it can't do it as well. The government has shown time and time again through hundreds of programs over the last decades that it they've failed at lifting people out of poverty or giving access to mass access to things like healthcare, welfare. I mean, like these programs, they fail. Like government involved healthcare is obviously a failure. Obamacare is a failure. Healthcare needs to be privatized. Could you imagine healthcare in a free market? It would be great. I mean, things like welfare, people take advantage of these systems and it doesn't lift them out of poverty. People like Bill Gates, Steve Jobs, and Jeff Bezos, they do it better. They take the risk so you don't have to. The government's job is to ensure that there's free enterprise and to stay out of their way. The new Shepard shuttle is just the start. Think of the innovation. Think of the new jobs that it will create, reviving a dead field. Could there be faster transportation of goods? Like, could you imagine your Amazon package being delivered from outer space? Well, that's so crazy to think about. It also could lead to more affordable flying. I mean, if we use space travel as a means to travel to a destination, then plane travel would the cost would be cut dramatically for a competition the possibilities are endless maybe one day you and i in space the thought of middle class america traveling in outer space is no longer a science fiction story with the continuation of the blue origin space program and others like it the idea of you and i going to space is now one step closer to reality this week on For the Entertainment, the Olympic Games kicked off Friday night, but not without controversy surrounding the opening ceremony. 
Kentaro Kobayashi, Olympic opening ceremony director, was fired Thursday just one day before the official kickoff of the 2020 Olympics. Kobayashi became the latest source of the drama surrounding the Games. When a joke he made during a 1998 comedy show was brought to light, Apparently, the two-decade-old joke mocked the Holocaust and included the phrase, let's play Holocaust. Kobayashi is the third senior member of the ceremonies team to be dismissed amid controversy. I don't want to speak too much on what was said, mostly because I haven't heard the bit. But I do want to point out that this comedy show was performed over 20 years ago. And that matters. That matters because we need to be aware of what was considered acceptable humor at the time. Now, I'm not trying to advocate or make light of what Kobayashi was said. I'm not trying to even say that it was acceptable at any time. Because, once again, I haven't heard what he actually said. I haven't heard the bit. But, as we develop as a society, the terms we use, the jokes we tell, they change with society as well. So I think it's really unfair to put Kobayashi to put him to put him up with to against today's standards when this joke was said in 1998. I don't think that's fair to him and I don't think it's fair to do it to anybody. Because of that, we need to be cautious of how we hold people accountable. Should people really be punished for the things that they said decades ago using today's standard? Comment below and let me know what you think and what your take on the issue is. In other news, in other Olympic news, let's talk about some athletes to keep an eye on during the games. First up, we have Simone Biles. Biles is the major star in the U.S. women's gymnastics team. You'll remember her from Rio, where she won five, yes, five Olympic medals, four of which were gold. Should she win big in all competitions, Biles will walk away with four new medals and officially be the most decorated gymnast of all time. Next up, we have Noah Lyles. Tokyo will be the first Olympic appearance for this track and field star. Currently the 200-meter world champ, Lyles' performance at the Games should be one to watch. Next up, we have Katie Ledecky. Katie Ledecky is the world record holding freestyle swimmer and defending champion of the 200 meter free. If the Tokyo Olympics brings her four gold medals, she will walk, or more appropriately, swim away as the most decorated female Olympic swimmer ever. And lastly, we have Nyjah Houston. Street skateboarding is making its Olympic debut in Tokyo bringing with it 13-time X Games gold medalist Houston. Let's see if this three-time world skateboarding champion can bring his gold medal game and win big for the USA. And now, who not to keep an eye on? We have a winner, folks. And this time around in the Olympic Games, it is the USA women's soccer team, who, after taking a knee in support of BLM Wednesday night, got smoked by Sweden. The 3-0 loss should teach the team to spend more time practicing and less time being social justice warriors. While likely to still advance in the competition, the team has faced some pretty heavy backlash for their continued protest demonstrations on the field. Will this change the team's behavior? 
Mm, probably not. That's why I say use the team's games times to catch up on some lost sleep. The Olympic Games will continue through August 8th and should have plenty of action, upsets, and surprises. What event are you most excited for? Again, comment below and let me know. Thank you so much for watching this week's episode of For the Republic. If you enjoyed the show, please drop a like, comment, and consider subscribing to the channel. If you are listening to the audio version of this podcast, please consider leaving a review. I would greatly appreciate it. You can help grow the community by commenting below and sharing this episode. Follow For the Republic on social media to get the latest updates. A new episode will premiere right here on YouTube next Sunday night at 7 p.m. Eastern. For now, be blessed and Godspeed.